Hello, welcome back to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. Uh, it's a, it's another week. It's another crazy episode. Uh, this is episode six oh nine, which is entitled "Fun and Games." And there were there was uh, I I don't I you know what I have issues with that title. How much fun and how many games were there in this episode? Um, but we'll get into all of that. Uh, it was uh, it was written by Ann Cherkis and was directed by Michael Morris. And I'm Chris McCaleb. I'm one of the editors of Better Call Saul and a co-host of this podcast. And another co-host of this podcast that we have today is former editor of Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and the creator of this very podcast you're listening to, Kelly Dixon. Hey! What's going on, Kel? How's it going, Chris? Good to it's, see you again. It's, it's good. Good to see you. See you, uh, Zoom you, whatever. In yeah. This, in this COVID, you know, reboot that we're having, Redux. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Since since we last spoke, uh, I, I think half the people in, in these windows have had COVID, so... So it's very exciting, um, and but and, and uh, you know we're all feeling great today. Um, though I do I do sound congested. You're right. It's not. Uh, it, it is certainly noticeable. But um, so we got a lot of people to introduce and a lot of stuff to talk about. So I'll just get right into it. Um, as, as joining us almost as always, though though we're, we're happy to have him back after uh, he was unable to join us last week. Um, he is the co-creator of the show and executive producer, Peter Gould. Hey. Hey. It's me. Yes, That's right. You're back. You're you're free. You look freshly shorn. You've 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 got <laughs> looking looking fresh faced. And and uh, is that because uh, how how are things going with uh, episode thirteen? When last it, we spoke, uh, you were you were hard at work on a Sunday yes. in the cutting room. Yes, uh, thirteen. I think is locked. So we'll see. We're very we're wow. very excited. Wow, that's the last one. Close to wow. And, uh, there's still, really? It's terrifying to say. There's terrifying to say. I think it's locked. That's well. There's still, there's still some hot. You know what? And this is something maybe we'll get to talk about in a future podcast. There's still some uh, hot debate uh, about uh, a few scenes. So we'll still. We'll, we'll oh, see. Wow. Exciting. Man, I was texting Chris last night, at like 11:30, going, "What are they doing? How long are they going to drag this out? <laughs> as long as we can." That's, that's right. <laughs> we don't that's want right. it to end. Um, well, I'm going to, I want to introduce that voice. You just heard a voice come in, uh, and, uh, she's, I think this is your first time on the podcast, right? It is. Well, it is my it, first time. making her podcast debut, the supervising producer of season six and, uh, a very long time, um, uh, uh, member of the better call Saul and breaking bad family. It's Trina C.O.P. Hello. Yes. Hello. Trina. So happy to be here. It's so great. Excited. It's great to have you. Um, and and uh, it was I great. Think I, your I think her name has been invoked many times over the, <laughs> yes, the yes, history of the podcast. I yes, think. we're we're referring to folks such as yourself as podcast all stars these days, because where it's just like Ooh. every episode, somebody says Trina this or Trina that. Oh. Um, so so yeah, so it's great to to have you talk about yourself uh, for a, a change, and and uh, <laughs> so we can hear all about it for, straight from you. And, uh, and one of those people who might have said your name is the director of this episode and executive producer of this season, uh, returning champion, Michael Morris. Yes. Hey, it's great to be here. I love, love being here with you guys. Live from New York. It's Michael Morris. Live from New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's really fun to be here. And it's a great group you've got. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it. 
Yeah, well, this is a, a killer episode, and we have a very, very special guest also joining us for the first time on the podcast. Uh, you you know her perhaps as Francesca Woo. from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. It's Tina Parker. Yes, yes Tina. All right. Yes. Hello from going? Texas. Yeah. Hello hi. from Texas. Yeah. Where everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Yay! Yikes. <laughs> we got, can we can we get you out of there through the Zoom window? Like, is that can we pull you? Please. <laughs> no, please stay. Stay there and vote. Well, that's true. Yeah, you gotta stay have there. some warriors on the ground. I gotta say, I'm so excited to like see you on the podcast to actually like get to meet you because every single time, every time, ever since Breaking Bad, I've been like. Whenever you like come back, I'm like, Francesca, oh my God. <laughs> I think Peter, Peter will tell you, I like, I'm always like, when are you guys bringing Francesca back? I'm like so excited that you're here. Thanks you and me both, man. I'm like, I get the call. <laughs> <laughs> so excited. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. I would definitely echo that. Uh, you, you, you're, you're so good and you, you, uh, you inject such a, uh, a, a fresh dose of energy to all of those uh, scenes. It's just fantastic. From the very, not just that. Wait, from the very, very first time we see Francesca, I think it's in what in the in the Saul episode of eight. Peter, I don't remember. That's right. Remind me. That's right. But, but I do remember. He's like, "Hey, Francesca, can I follow you home?" And she's like, "Nope." And I, <laughs> I, I mean, it still makes me crack up. Me too. Me too. Me too. And and just a uh, memory lane briefly. Uh, I do remember because it's a it's a it's a tricky thing to come in and do a role for an episode the way Tina did. Uh, and also, you know, season two of Breaking Bad, we didn't know what it was. We were still still getting our feet. And Tina came in with such confidence, you know, with it, it well, you look, you did a great, you're shaking your head. <laughs> I was you're like, shaking your head. Yes. you're shaking your head, but that's, you gave, you had this air of confidence and this air of, uh, you gave us this feeling of history between these two characters. Uh, that was just, it was shocking and it was wonderful right away from that very first episode. I just remember going, getting into the hotel room and having the sides like in the little envelope, pulling it out and seeing Bob's name. And I actually screamed. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, he's the boss, he's the boss. And I was <laughs> like, I was real dorktastic for sure. <laughs> and I, I tried to keep it together in the band until the very end, like we were coming back. And I was like, I just have to tell you that I really like Mr. Show. And oh. <laughs> he was like, great. Or whatever. I'm sure he was like, awesome. I'm not stuck with her forever. <laughs> well, he, at that point, he still thought he was only going to be on for two episodes. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love hearing this because, you know, you walked in and you just seem to be in such command it's great it's great to hear that there was more to it than that no oh god no yeah and i remember getting the call too because i like literally had to fly out that night like yeah. they called me in the afternoon and they're like can you be on a plane and i was like okay or whatever i was at some really bad audition for like a commercial that i would never book because my voice is too low and i'm not a mom or whatever and it was like, hey, can you be on this plane? And I was like, peace, I'm out of here. I'm not doing the mom. <laughs> I'm on So yeah, throwing a bunch of stuff. And I was like, I don't think they want me to wear the same thing I wore in, the, in that audition. But okay, I just threw a bunch of crap in the bag and was like, I have no idea what's happening. It was great. It was a great time. Well, you looked like you knew it was happening. So it's perfect. 
Good. <laughs> well, we've got. I'm. I'm glad we've gotten to see even more of Francesca this season, and uh, and who knows? Maybe there's more to come. I, there's only time will tell when we see these episodes. But but let's 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 get into this episode. Um, what a what an absolutely awesome and super bummer teaser. Uh, as uh, as as Kim and Jimmy and and Mike kind of put it all, try to try to put a, a good face on and and uh, put it all back together. What is that piece of music that plays? Do we know? There's there's actually two songs called Perfect Day. One is yeah. uh, Lou Reed's Perfect Day, and right. there's Harry Neeson's Perfect Day. This was originally we were thinking let's do Harry Neeson's Perfect Day because it's this this it's this wonderful wonderful mixed emotion song that has has all these implications and these angelic voices and uh it just didn't in the end it uh the the sequence that michael directed and uh, that ann that ann wrote was so much longer than the song it just didn't really work so uh we had these you know our our brilliant music supervisor uh, thomas Golbovic. Uh, recruited these these great musicians to do a new version, which I think is just spectacular. Oh wow, original! Yes. Wow, that's cool. In the in the tradition of something stupid back in season four, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, well, I absolutely loved it. And um, I have a question straight out though, because okay, I'm watching Francesca and Saul and Saul in the in the um, in the teaser. And I'm watching that new Saul Goodman sign go up. What happened to the Saul Goodman sign? <laughs> that was uh, that was kind of the capstone on uh, on Francesca's Francesca's remake of The Office. And okay. he, at some point, some point, uh, some point between the beginning of this episode and the end of this episode, he obviously decided that whole thing was not going to work for, oh, for his yeah. uh, for his okay. office. Okay. Uh, so and and we had little hints. We've had little hints of that when, uh, you know, back in back in Giancarlo's episode, uh, when when the folks were putting their cigarettes out on the furniture, but mm-hmm. uh, and and yeah. the uh, and one of his clients was peeing in the fountain. Yeah, uh, you could see that Saul, Saul's Saul's starting to feel that maybe uh, maybe he needs to have a a slightly different surround to suit his clients, <laughs> and uh, of course, yeah, Francesca. Francesca goes from uh, in this episode is kind of fascinating. She goes from all that enthusiasm uh, in that montage at the opening, and then at the end, there's boy, there's the Francesca we saw on Breaking Bad. <laughs> She's sick of life. Behind well, I was gonna say, I, I, I was gonna say that you can tell that you can track like the history of the progression of this whole series in a way, in a sort of um, footnote, brilliant way when you zoom in on Tina, Tina's incredible performance all the way through this, how your character dresses, how she presents herself, but really how you brought that, like your body language changes so subtly in each time zone that we're in, in the story. It's been a really, really fun way to check in with, I mean, because we got to do that, that, um, that teaser, uh, seasons ago, where we where we jumped forward, you know, yeah. and there you were, in like it, it, she was in all her glory, and then and then we when we checked back in with you again after that, the next time we saw you, it was the very beginning of 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 her journey with him. It's been really fun. I I, I think it's a fun little game to play when you watch this series back is to is to track it through Francesca. through Francesca. Well, and, ch- and yeah. just ch- you can walk, I mean Jennifer Bryan, the costumer is fantastic because just the color palette. I know she works on that with you guys. Um, 
but just the clothes that I have, like the, I have birds and pink and flowers. And, and then it's like, then it goes snake and dark and just wearing slacks and these nasty flats or whatever, you know, you're just like, (laughs) and for a while, I remember they were like, you're one of the only characters can maybe show a little cleavage. I was like, okay. Like it was, you know, that was in the Breaking Bad time or whatever. Uh, Yeah. So, and I remember one day I had a little purple on and Betsy Brandt walked by and she's like, you have my color on. And I was like, I don't know what's happening back there. Uh, 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 <laughs> it is what it is or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's always, you can always just almost just step into it because of just how you're surrounded in the set design and the costume, all of that, you know? So it's great. And, and the writing, of course, you know, let's be real. Absolutely. Oh, and there's one other thing about this teaser that, that before we move on that I wanted to talk about that Michael, I, that I, it's just sort of like a curio about it, is there's the shot when Mike is uh, is burning stuff in that kind of burn barrel. Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you end up running that shot in reverse? Hmm. Yeah, we did. My God, I, yes, we did. We did. But that's the beginning and end of it, really. I mean, you just gave away the punchline. Um, we did. We ended up <laughs> the, the only punchline being it actually just looked so good right. in in reverse. It just for some reason it just played the the sparks and and the there's a long tradition of of creative sparks, you know, or there is a tradition of creative sparks in this in this. The bar was high um, for a lot of for a lot of that. And uh, Peter, we. Did you direct the episode where the sparks came across the screen? Was that your episode? Or no, no, that was uh, oh. Mickey. Mickey Spyro directed that one. It was, yeah, it was so clever. Uh, and I knew that, you know, that we wanted sparks to sort of play, just to play in it. And yeah, for, for whatever reason, this uh, it, it played really well, um, running this in reverse, which I've never done before. But I, it was Wait, a so discovery. Did you shoot it in reverse or did you just run it in reverse in post? No, we ran it reverse. We ran it reverse and post. Oh, okay. Yeah. I do that. We do that all the time. Chris, we do that. Yeah, but oh, no, I, I know. It's done that with fire. <laughs> but it, it it's it's interesting because you'd think it would look like it was going backwards just because of the way yeah. fire works. Yeah. But mm. it, it it actually, it, it looked like more like fire for some reason. And it's, it, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Fire it's, wasn't fiery enough for us. <laughs> and, and how is. And, how spectacular is that uh, that opening sequence with that? You know, the, it's it's so beautifully choreographed, and the uh, the scenes link together so brilliantly. I mean, it's just That's it's cool. uh, Michael. Just the amount of I, the amount of preparation that you guys must have done to make that work. How did how did you how did you plan all that? There was a lot of planning on this one, but this like everything on the show. Uh, and Trina, so for those, so Trina's, this is where Trina, if you weren't here, I would talk a lot about Trina um, because uh, because in prepping this thing, there's like a core group. And you've, the last time I remember, Chris, you were asking me about the opening of the first episode. And that's right. We talked a lot about Trina as well, because there's a core group, which is in my case is me, because it's before we get to post, you know, so it's before, we, you know, we get to collaborate with you guys, but it's, me and the writers of the episode, obviously Peter, um, who's who's part of everything that we do. But then the first AD, uh, who in this case is Rich Sickler, and Ma- um, the the cinematographer in this case was Marshall Adams, and Trina, and that's the core group that we will. So uh, you'll take the at least the way I work is everyone's probably different. The tone is completely captured in the script. Like I wish that you could do those script to screen things on every episode of this show because. The way Peter, you and Anne um, 
right, the, the opening, it, it, it immediately conjures a way of doing it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's, so, so there wasn't a sense of like, oh, I wonder how we're going to do that. The how came later. It was like, this is what it's going to have to be. This is a montage. Because there's been a million different kinds of montages on the show. I've done a few of them. And, uh, and each one has, I think, its own personality. They're not, you know, some of them are very jagged. Some of them are very musical. Some of them, some of them you know, have repeating ideas. Some of them are split screen. This one, I knew we wanted to, to do it so that the scenes bled from one into the other. And, and uh, Peter, you and I talked, I think, early on about The Graduate, that fabulous montage in The Graduate, which this is not really a homo an homage to that, but it, it, that was sort of a touch point that we, we both looked at. And we were like, oh, we love the way that the camera moves us from one thing or an image moves us from one thing to another. But then, I mean, Trina, I'm going to turn it over to you in a second because we planned this for, I mean, it feels like months on this one. There were storyboards for every transition. There were a couple of, I mean, to the extent that sometimes we knew that we wanted to do little oneers that would sort of end on something and then just pick up an idea. But sometimes we built whole sets to allow for, you know, for some of these, some of these uh, shots to happen. So, yeah, I think it was, it was in prep for, for months before, wasn't it? It was, we talked a lot about it for sure, but um, <laughs> it was done masterfully. And, and yeah, like, like you said, with, with all the great minds involved with, with Marshall and yourself and Peter and, you know, it's just... you. Yeah, oh, it was, you. it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, Rich Sickler, I, I, I want to give him some credit because um, there was originally the second shot of, I feel like it's the second shot, my numbers might be off, but after um, the door closes in the office and we come to the, in, into the courthouse and they're walking, that was originally going to be a very different shot. I was trying to, to, to do it with the briefcase, filling the frame and then pulling back from the briefcase and very quickly it became very difficult that wasn't going to work because they're moving in a direction. The camera's moving in a direction. The corridor wasn't long enough. Um, and it was Rich who, who, when we were scouting, was like, wait, no, no, you can you can do the same effect, but on the door. And it would be super cool because the door will be, you know, closing and then the door will just continue and be a different door opening. And, um, and props to to uh, Rich for that. It's really cool. And how does, how does Trina, in your position, like what, Talk a little bit because I think a lot of people probably don't know uh, as a as a supervising producer. Like, well, what does that what does that mean? Like, how how you know Michael was saying you know you were so integral. Like, what uh, what 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 do you do, Trina? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. The best way to explain it, uh, I guess I'm kind of a somewhat of a filter. I take everybody's ideas and I it's like one of those big, you know, with the, with the penny that used to go down and then it meets in the, it's like that. <laughs> I take all those thoughts and everybody's ideas and, and, um, and kind of get it down into one, one shot, you know, and, and it's, it's using my, my, my specialty, my iPad and pulling up things that we've shot in the past so we can make sure that it exacts match it, you know, it, it, it blends correctly or, or ends exactly how we want it to and starts exactly how we want it to. Um, there's a, there's a, um, one of the hallmarks I think that makes this show so, so good and always has, and then Breaking Bad was the same, was a sort of endless quality control process where, you know, you really don't see anything on the screen unless it's been considered and thought about and, and, uh, and there've been options and the options have been weighed and evaluated. And I would say you'd think that, you know, the director is the final 
stage of the quality control, but it isn't true because Trina is absolutely that final stage. You know, it, she's got a really, really acute visual um, sense. So if something's off, no matter what it is, no matter what it is, you'd be something that you could be still looking for it five minutes later. And it's like, oh, I get what you just did. And, it, you know, things are always improved up to the very, very last minute. And she also never forgets anything about what we talked about four weeks earlier, what the original impulse was for, for, for the sequence or the shot. So there's a sense that um, it's, it's like a, a, you know, it just makes, it's a float that keeps this thing sort of like running forward and not sinking. Just really well, I would say that, you know, it helps because you you've got your mind and all of you have your mind somewhere else. You're looking at the performances and that, you know, and and I can zone in on on other things and kind of. Look shot to shot and pull this. Sometimes I'm the bearer of bad news, I would say, like <laughs> you're like, oh, that shot was amazing. And I'm like, eh, actually, there was this. Maybe we should do it again. So but um, but yeah, I mean, I yeah. can. The extras wearing masks. There were extras wearing masks in the background. Oops. Oh yes. My God. But that guy was picking his nose in the second take. So. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We we have not had a mask uh, visible on screen. So that's that's good. That's there that's were a few times I think we thought we thought there were masks, but it was actually someone with like a very large beard or something. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that guy's wearing a mask. No, he's wearing a mask. Nope, he's not wearing a mask. That's we, just we his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, mask face over there. Yeah. Hey, Peter, I've got a question for you. We've talked a little bit on the podcast about um, how this this season schedule has been very, very disrupted by COVID and that um, you guys basically had everything written before anything. I think I remember this, that before anything went into production. The story was broken. It was okay. broken. It was okay. fully broken. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Um, in with what Michael is talking about with this um, teaser, and I mean, you know, just pretty much every other episode, did that end up being sort of a, an advantage in a way? Uh, there were, there, absolutely, Kelly, there were advantages. I mean, for instance, one thing that we might have mentioned in a previous podcast was that we had to shoot all the exteriors of uh, Saul's office all at once in a very brief period. <laughs> so Michael... You know, fortunately, we had the scripts ready for that, and that that really wow. did help. It also helped, uh, uh, you know, when when Bob had his terrible crisis, that we had enough scripts. There were there were scripts existed and were in good enough shape that we could shoot around around him That's for right. several weeks. Uh, but it was, you know, it it's a. Uh, I, I think it's a terrible. I, I mean, look, I I think that there's. It may seem like an advantage to have everything written. But I actually don't think it is, and I think if we had had if this had, if we had had the situation season one, I don't think the show probably would have lasted because uh, so much of what ended up happening with the show was shaping the story based on what we saw happening on set and what hmm. the actors did, telling us about giving us cues about the characters. Um, so I think in this case we're lucky it was our final season and we were. You know, we had a, a, a pretty fair idea about who these people were, but even there, I think there's 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 some advantages to having a, not having the clay the clay totally fired and hard before before you start shooting. It's helpful to have a right. little bit of wiggle room, and also just it's just hard to keep the the thought for so long. The thought maybe feature people do this all the time, 
Michael can tell me. It's hard to just keep that initial impulse alive for instead of for a few months, keeping it alive for years is just is just weird. And uh, I, I, you know, and and uh, it's just it's weird. It's been weird in post too, Kelly. Um, the I just want to make sure though, before you move on from Trina, uh, because one of the things I I think is so I look around this group and I see myself, I see Jen who's not appearing, but I see uh, Chris, I see Kelly, I see Trina, and all of us were promoted from within on the show, every single one of us, yep. uh, which is something that, that I think Vince really started on Breaking Bad, but I, I'm so proud that we were able to continue it. And Trina, uh, you know, of course, Chris and Kelly both were assistant editors when we started. Uh, Chris was Kelly's assistant. And, uh, and then, and, and then uh, and I was, I was uh, what, an sto uh, executive story editor on, when we started on Breaking Bad. Uh, and Trina, Trina, are we going to ask Trina about her journey? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Not just producer, but supervising producer. <laughs> it was a. Uh, it was when Melissa Bernstein called me and offered me the job. I definitely had a little bit of a panic attack and and <laughs> didn't know. But yeah, as you well, said, yes, I've been there you, since the beginning. I was assistant. Doing? I was assistant prop master um for all of breaking bad i might have done a small little acting part on the show and a small Some little st stunt part on the show <laughs> um but yeah uh you know i love the family and i'm 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 sad that the i'm sad that you know we're not together but anymore you, <laughs> but you may be the only supervising producer who was I think virtually an active stunt woman at the same time, or like almost. <laughs> I think at one point, like we're on set, like doing some really tricky thing, and you talked about like falling out of an airplane, and I was like, "Wait, you fell out of an airplane?" And she showed me a video on her phone of like being like, Trina walking on the wing of some biplane and like falling off it and rolling over a thousand times and saying, "Oh yeah, I did that twelve times or something." I don't know. Yes, yes. twelve times. Unusual actually, origin story. Actually, did that while we were shooting Breaking Bad, and I'm. Pretty sure I came to work the next day and like could barely walk for, <laughs> but yes, My <laughs> active God. stunt person. I'm, I'm getting crazy. a little old for that now. So I, I pick and choose. I did do one a few weeks ago where I got to drive a pink limo at 60 through the desert. So that's my style now. Nowadays, <laughs> that's my style. <laughs> Whoa. But, but I have to say, you know, it was a no brainer. And, and again, all credit to oh. Melissa Bernstein, but it was a no brainer to have Trina in this role because she has a unique set of skills that she knows, first of all, everyone on the crew loves her already, which really helps in this role. But also she, she, she's, you know, you've done stunts, you've done props, you, you know, every department intimately, you understand the psychology of the people. And uh, it's just, it's a, uh, you know, what a, what a, I, I'm so, I, I'm so grateful that you were there for, for us on this, this season and the last season. And I don't know how many seasons it's been, but I, you know, of course, I, I my memory of, of Trina also is uh, we talk about stunts on Breaking Bad. She she took the bullet for Andrea in the last episode of Breaking Bad that I did when oh Andrea gets shot in the back of the head. That's that's Trina Trina getting a fall doing that yep. incredible deadfall uh from and if from you remember they Jesse's made like this they made that beautiful pat because it was like a brick kind of walkway out front and they made mm -hmm. this beautiful rubber mat that looked like brick and we were it was night and just the way the moon was you could tell that there was a pad there so we were like you know what we got to take the pad away <laughs> you have to hit the ground but 
I, I was also padded, so it was it was it's fine. Kelly, do you no, remember visual effects? Visual effects can fix that, you know. That's true. <laughs> now, <laughs> Kelly, do you remember that that was the last scene that you cut from that episode? No, I don't remember that. I remember because the scene. It was because it I was remember... so like it was so uh, emotionally uh, affecting that you were like, I can't. I just need to like wait and. Yeah, it was the last scene you cut in that in that in that episode. Dude, I'm glad you're the historian because I don't remember. <laughs> I remember I remember the scene. I remember cutting the scene, and but I don't remember that was the last one. How do you yeah. remember that? You waited because I because well, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we yeah, were there Aaron, for a Aaron, lot of it. That's That's Aaron true. Paul's emotions. Oh, oh, oh my god, broke, it was just broke incredible. Your heart. Yes. So good. So good. all right, all right. We have to talk. I'm sorry. I I hate to be you know the the killer <laughs> of this, but we're gonna run out of time. And there's so much in this episode, but I'm sorry. I have to jump ahead on this episode because there was one scene. Do it. And I I watched it. I watched it a couple of weeks ago, but then I watched it last night again, so I could take notes. And there was one scene that I'm very perplexed by. So I'm wondering if you guys can talk to me about Gus and the wine bar. <laughs> I'm like. I'm like, is I, I don't know what to make of this, but I was like, is Gus cruising that waiter? Is the waiter flirting with what is going? What is up with that? Can y'all shed some light on this one? Yes, and yes. <laughs> I, I think it's it's well. I'm waiting to see if Michael says anything, but I, I'll say I find that to be one of those heartbreaking scenes on the show. I think uh, uh, you see, you yeah. know, this, this. I think it's 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 cruising is a funny way to put. It. I think it's very romantic. Uh, what's going on between these two guys? Uh, it's kind of it's kind of beautiful, and boy, uh, my Michael and the actors just hit it out of the park. I, we keep saying that, but it's it's just incredible. Well, this this was a really yeah. I think your reaction to it, Kelly, is 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 really interesting because it, you know I had a you read the script right, and this is a classic. When Anne writes scripts, sometimes you'll get. I wish she was here to ask her about it because. Um, yes. She'll write twelve-page scenes. Do you know what I mean? She will. She will absolutely just like inhabit this one thing, and you'll be like, "Wow, that, you never get to see that on television." So here, on the face of it, we're in a random restaurant with a random guy we've never heard about or seen before, investing all this time, and the pacing is is slow and intimate. But to me, this I agree with you, Peter. Like to me, this was a scene about like the, okay, back up one second. This episode uh, six oh nine. Um, for me was always very much about endings you know yes there, there are lots of episodes left and they're all insane uh but this one had a sense of an ending about so many of the characters one after the other and um uh, i'm not even saying that that these are endings but there was a sense of an ending and i think with um with gus uh how surprising after he has this big scene with, you know, with Eladio and there's all the, all the story is, is serviced, that you go from there to this whole other part of his life where you see him, I think you see in, in, in Giancarlo, a whole diff a different side of this man, a different kind of uh, openness, a little bit of weakness, which is like, we know from the show, from Max and everything, that when he gets intimate with somebody, there's a kind of, there's it, it a chink in the armor almost. And we see him play with that. And then at the end of the scene, when when he kind of just zips it up and throws, seems to throw away the key, to me that's a heartbreaking end of this short story. Which is like he will never allow that in his life. 
he will never allow that sort of intimacy and softness and connection to somebody and possibility humor he will never allow himself to be surprised in that way because he's too controlled and of course we know what his future is you know and uh, and so it broke my heart every time just from the script onwards uh, so to and me how that's great therefore and how great is reed diamond uh, for the what the one the one scene now, Michael, I seem to remember that you had to for some reason you had to shoot that at some ungodly hour. Is that true? It was it was crazy. Trina was there. It was oh, crazy man. all night. And in fact, Reed Diamond is, it did such a magnificent job because you would never know. And the way this worked, because I'm sure everybody, you certainly everyone who listens to this podcast will know that um, most of the time when we're shooting, you know, you're covering different areas at different times. And so, you know, in an ideal world, you will be able to keep the time between someone's close up and someone else's close up relatively close together so that they maintain the moment and maintain that same energy. But for various reasons, including ungodly thunderstorms and lightning storms that, that, that shut down the set over and over again and having light on one side and not having light on the other because we were waiting for the sun to get, whatever it was, Reed was off camera, except for some of the, the wider shots, was off camera for almost the entire night. It was about five o'clock in the morning, I think, uh, when the cameras finally were able to turn around and get him. And not an ounce of tiredness or sense that he'd said the lines, you know, 150 times before. He was present for every one of Giancarlo's takes, like fully there, fully present and acting in every take. And then ready for it, like when we had from 5.30 to like... 6:45 a.m. when it was it was him he was he was amazing and is this the first time we've ever seen gus actually actually smile i mean i mean it, it was i mean it's like he took a breath it was like a like a happy smile not a smile of like mm-hmm. you know a, some plan is working or or that fake you know that that smile he puts on when he's at um yeah at work, at work. yeah yeah I, I think so I, and i think we talked about we think we talked about that actually with um with Giancarlo, who's such a specific, you know, he's so physically specific about everything he does. So I think it was this notion of just what does it look like when he quite literally lets his guard down, which you never, ever see. And the difference between that and him putting his guard back up, you know. Hey, so I I mean, there's so much in this episode that I, I mean, we have to talk about, but I don't want to leave Tina out because I, I guess I have a question for you, Tina, that is more about like, okay, so when... When Brother Call Saul started, did you like, like, were you watching and saying? Oh yeah. What? <laughs> when, when do I, cause I, I gotta say, I certainly was. I was like, when is Francesca coming back? I mean, I, I would ask those guys that. So I'm just curious from an actor's point of view, it's like, you know, were you kind of like watching and waiting and hoping and. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan, obviously of the, Breaking Bad and Salt. So I've been, I've been, you know, with it from the beginning. So I was watching and I was like, well, I don't know. Well, they seem to be, uh, I don't know. Is, you know, so I was like, I'd watch and watch. And I was like, well, may, maybe. And then finally got the call. But yeah, definitely. I just, um, I, 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 you know, my thing is like, you never know where they're going to go, but they'll go somewhere cool. So hopefully I get to go in the car, at least for one ride. <laughs> uh, you, you know, like that's like, please, I'll hold the door for Bob. I'll, I'll do it. I'll come out. Um, yeah, definitely watching and hoping for sure. And it's Peter, always a good time to come back. And Peter, I always asked you this, you know, even when I was there, I'd be like, so like, you know, 
you know, you and you talked about this before on the pods, different pods, about like this board of characters that you want back and stuff. So I can't remember which season it was. Was it two that that Tina came back? It was three, wasn't it? Was it three? Three, yes, three. three. Yeah. Okay, three was a big season for for uh, for for Francesca. Yes. <laughs> Where she worked sure. for Kim and Tina made this brilliant choice of, of being a little bit intimidated by Kim, uh, which just, you know, it, which is not really scripted. It wasn't really scripted. It was just a choice you made. And, uh, and you look, you look at the scenes, of course, it makes perfect sense. It's great. <laughs> and that's another example of where, you know, you, you know, the performance informs the writing. Cause then we could, we knew that and we could write to that. Uh, yeah, so yeah, see, and that was, it felt like to us, it felt like, well, what, I mean, at the end of season three, you know, Wexler McGill closes, uh, when are we ever going to see Tina again? Also, <laughs> we would ask ourselves why at that point, why she knows so much about Saul, uh, or G Jimmy, you know, why would she go work for him? She really, you know, even when they say goodbye, she's like, oh, okay, bye. Yeah. Uh, it's we really we thought a lot about how how is how is she get come back into his life you know how how is it even possible it seemed it seemed impossible so until <laughs> until until it was possible money yeah it's, it's, so, it's so sad do you think tina let me ask you something this is something i always wondered i always felt like uh, uh francesca wants to travel that seems to be she wants travel and adventure do you think um, and not to give anything, you know, again, future away. Do you think she ever got to go anywhere? No, I really don't think she did. And that's what I thought was really great is that, you know, like even in Breaking Bad, I always was looking at travel magazines, probably because we weren't, you know, copyright like this. this you know, we're not going to get in trouble with this plane travel magazine or whatever. Uh, but I would just always dog ear like, she'll go here and she'll go here and it'll be great. And look at this bargain Aww. price. Um, and uh, I think that's sadly her through line the whole time is that, you know, she has, she tries to save money and she's going to go on these great trips, but she has no friends. And I mean, I feel like we're, and she has no time off and um, she can't ever leave. So I, you know, I do think if, you know, if Wexler McGill had continued, perhaps she and Kim maybe would have been maybe in a weird like sort of well they were definitely friends didn't francesca come over to the house when kim had a broken yeah, she, arm and, yeah she's tried she tried like yeah they went to the blockbuster and she yeah. carried all carried all of her videos and like she wants <laughs> to be our friend a yeah, true I, friend well i a think she friend. would definitely yeah. aspire to be like him like that's the thing i always took away from all of our interactions was just like she's a lady who's got it together and she knows her stuff so i feel like you know, she's a little aspirational to Francesca in that way. Um, which, is, which is actually a great segue to start talking about Kim because we got to talk about freaking Kim in this episode. I got to tell you guys, I just finished working for Deborah Chow who directed your episode uh, in, in season four, the something stu stupid episode. Um, and Deborah Chow, I mean, she knew that I was watching the early episodes to do these podcasts and she was like, I just want to know what happens about Kim. That's I all I care about Kim. What's going to happen with Kim, right? What's going to happen with Kim? And here's the thing. I remember texting Chris a couple of weeks ago when I finally watched this episode and my I mean this says nothing about what's coming after because I haven't seen those, but 
I was like, I always knew Kim was still out there somewhere, right? So I love, I love, love, love how you guys did the end of this thing. I know we're jumping ahead, but I don't want to, I want to make sure that we cover it. Um, can you uh, talk to me, Peter and, you know, Michael, of course, um, about your, I guess, thoughts and how early, you know, your thoughts were on basically what was going to happen at this point in time with Kim? Yeah, um, it was, geez, you know, it, it's, it, it, we thought a lot about uh, how Kim was going to, what, what the end of this scheme was going to be. Uh, against Howard and what the repercussions would be and what Kim would take away from it. And it just felt the more we, the more we talked about it, the more we felt like she's not going to be able to live her life the way she did. She's, you know, she's, she's, she's the scales have fallen from her eyes and she's seen the, what she's, what she's done. And she, she takes, I mean, you can argue she takes too much responsibility, but she takes enough to know that if she stays with Jimmy, they're going to, they're going to always fall into this pattern. You know, there's, they're always going to get back into that groove. And I love the way Anne wrote the scene. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's really powerful uh, because, and I think it's especially powerful because these are two people who don't talk directly about their relationship, who've never said, I love you until this moment. And for me, the moment might be one of my favorite moments. It might be my favorite moment ever when Bob says, but I love you. And it is the most pathetic, uh, beaten down, desperate moment I I've ever seen from him. It's just, it's, it's just, it, it breaks my heart and it breaks Kim's heart too, because she's knows, knows what's got to happen next. So it's, it's, um, you know, she's dream state with Jimmy. Uh, she went into this that they had this, you know, this alcoholic frenzy in its own way. And and now she is going to go dry and he go, you know, and you see at the end of the episode that he goes the other way. You know, he he goes deep into the bot. He goes right into the bottle. Uh, and mm -hmm. so but my, but one thing I didn't anticipate when when we were talking about it and, and when Ann was writing it and we were all working on it was how it would come off on Green and Michael, I, I would love to hear because this you shot this in a really unusual way. The breakup I don't know if, scene. I don't the breakup scene. Yes, I don't know if you, I don't know if it's absolutely uh, because once it's edited, you may not realize how unusual uh, the approach was. But could could you talk about what you did and how you figured this out and how you worked with Bob and Ray? Yeah, of course. Because yeah, I mean that that scene was is is just a beautiful piece of writing and and this is another one of those scenes where so many scenes in this episode are about seem to be about the difference between like who we think we are and who we actually are you know what i mean so like and i really thought about that for, for a lot of people you see it in in gus in the scene we talked about with with you know david in the wine bar you see it with mike always is like i because mike's thing is like i have honor i have values you know i i'm a little different from everybody else and then you finally get him into a situation when he's like, oh, I'm the same. I am those guys. You know, I'm not, he's fooling himself to think he's different, you know, in some senses. And Jimmy, the difference between Jimmy and, you know, Saul is the overarching sort of idea of this whole series in, 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 a, in a weird sort of character way. But for Kim, I just, 
love it because in the same episode you've got her behaving despicably you know despicably with Cheryl you know and actually sort of you going putting her foot even after everything that's happened putting her foot even further down the kind of that path and she seems to be the only one who actually resolves all that into like I'm not going to do that I'm not going to I'm going to make this hard choice of breaking this thing because this thing is is toxic and it's such good writing to me because you're at once like heartbroken. At least I was heartbroken at what was happening in the scene. And yet it's the thing that she needed to do to save herself. She had to. So it's a happy ending and a sad ending at the same time, which is just so difficult to do uh, in a script. But anyway, so to, to your point, so the scene, um, I think everyone listening has probably just seen it or seen it recently, but it, the scene is a, is a lot, an extended conversation and confrontation uh, in the apartment. And it's, it, it's, in the face of it, there's no need to do anything unusual you know, camera wise, you know, you can cover it in a wide, you know, some beautiful compositions wide, and then you can find, you know, the close ups that you need. But uh, Bob and Ray and, and, and I met on set early, early on, actually, and we ran the scene a couple of times. And we just so were alone. Uh, Trina, I you were probably you, you were probably there, of course. Yeah. And, and I think Rich was there too, but we basically just said, let's just use the whole space and just see where the conversation takes you because it's not the kind of conversation you kind of really want to be locked in one space for. And it just was, I remember it, it was like watching a play. It was kind of breathtaking. They kind of went, they ranged from the kitchen over into the bedroom and then over into the hallway. And there were these moments where, and so it was clear early on that this was not something that you want to lock into one space, which is, a lot of times what we have to do, you know, to, to, to be able to cover the scene effectively. And so, um, and it was also clear that you wanted to watch, you wanted to watch this thing unfold. You didn't want to do, if they were going to move from the kitchen into the bedroom, you didn't really want to say, okay, well, let's just do the kitchen bit now. Okay. And then we'll like come back in an hour and a half and we'll do the bedroom bit because everything was inspired by what came before it. There was, it was really wonderful. They're listening to each other in every way. So, um, I had this uh, idea to um, to try and follow all the action in essentially an unbroken shot in each direction, which would be easier if we were holding a camera, but uh, I didn't want to break the style of the show and suddenly make this a very sort of, um, I don't know, draw call attention to, 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 to the style of this thing. So I wanted it to feel sort of seamless with the way that we make the show, but nonetheless, have the camera be able to be all the way back at the kitchen, follow all the way into the bedroom, have them be able to turn around and switch positions so we'd be on, on Bob and Bob would charge past the camera and you know, and we'd pull back with him and get into a nice shot on Ray, have her take us into the end. And it's a very practical set, this one. Uh, it's not full of, it's not, it's not designed for that kind of a thing. So it was through genuinely through the genius of our grip department and our camera department and our sound department that we were able to to pull this off and particularly Eli our, our, our dolly grip um, was you remember Trudy, he was a hero on, on this yes. day because this that what you see on screen which as Peter says is is edited you know in such a way as you wouldn't necessarily always know what was happening but this was infinite adjustments that 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 Eli and the camera crew were making on that track to be not to be in a sudden like close up on 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 Bob where you wouldn't want to use it, not to be too far away for it not to be emotional, 
to keep these spots, to follow the actors, not to move too soon, not to move too late. Um, this was a way, but I think what it really helped us with was it kept the fluidity of the performances. It meant that they could just take, you know, they could ride with the with what the, was emotionally happening without ever knowing, okay, now we can only take it up to this line because I could get in the kitchen. So yeah, so long, the long answer to your short question is we kept each side as one unbroken um, dolly shot. Uh, but very dynamic uh, dolly shot. Uh, and we did that. We managed to do that in each direction, even through doorways and all kinds of weird things. Perhaps through the magic of editing, I will throw to Philip Palmer talking a little bit about it, as he did when I uh, interviewed him on uh, on the bonus episodes, which if you haven't listened to the bonus episodes, you are missing out. There's two things that go on in that. Well, there's many things that go on in that apartment in terms of the technology of it. We, we tried to not repeat any master shots. Uh, mm -hmm. There are some, probably they're close, but we tried to do something different each time we did a, a scene in there in terms of, you know, the, 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 the wider- Episode to episode. Episode to episode yeah. in the master, right? We would, uh, we would try and, you know, so we started running out of where and what we could and do without repeating ourselves. Right. We don't like to repeat ourselves in 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 the Breaking Bad, uh, Better Call Saul, El Camino universe, right? Right. We like to we like to have brave new ground at every moment, and um, so that apartment was. It's a shoebox, right? It's it's just a, it's a it's, set, but it's, it's a set, but it's yeah, it's there's just not, a big rectangle. It's a big rectangle, and we started we were cutting holes in walls. <laughs> we we're, we're pulling you know pulling out you know shooting from you know all kinds of different spots that we didn't ever uh, shoot from, and w there was this this scene which was just so pivotal to to our um, our main character's story. Of which um, Ray Kim basically says, "I'm I'm out," and it was it was very emotional, and Bob Bob was trying to talk her out of it, and she you know had had already made up her mind that right. she's moving on right, and um, uh, it was this I call it a push pull in the in the in the apartment we we they were going back and forth from the bedroom to the to the main room and and we had the cameras were were moving on these dollies and going going back and forth and and it was from a shout to the quietest whisper mm. in in this scene mm -hmm. and it was um it was uh, incredibly emotional not just for the characters as we were doing it too we realized that everybody was having a moment in this because we had you know for so for so many years this has been our investment this has been our relationship sure of course right and now it's all of a sudden you know it's over and uh there's this moment where she comes up to the doorway and she whispers you know her lines and getting the boom <laughs> over her head at this moment while before there was just this all of this shouting and and everything and and loud that wasn't shouting this elevated dialogue right sure and uh, and then passionate dialogue uh pleading and 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 all sorts of things and then to this you know whisper of 
you know, pledging love, right? Mm -hmm. And it was so emotional, but really hard to capture. Right. And um, my, we just, it was, my guys just did such a phenomenal job. Because, uh, you know, when their boom poles are, you know, 12, 14, 16 feet long, and they're just, they're threading the needle of going through the doorways and back and forth. And when there's two booms going in this, this space, um, and then to nail that scene down was just, it's almost like a ballet. Like it was, it was, kind of getting, it know, was like with... Cirque du Soleil in there <laughs> with stuff, you know, there was stuff flying back and forth with grip equipment and lighting and cameras and everything. And, you know, on picture, on, on screen, it's just these two people having this really emotional discussion. There's like 12 people in there. At the same time. Right. The camera, the actors, and then the whole crew, the yeah, including your sound crew are, are, you know, trying to, I, I don't know why I'm moving around. I move yeah, around. You're very excited. Right if, now. It's really great to see. I just, see it. This is, it's, it's great because that's exactly how we felt. It was a theatrical production. It was, it was like being in theater and, 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 the, and our, our two um, actors, Bob and Ray, just knocked it out of the park every time and we had to do it a number of times and it when when it was all said and done everyone was exhausted tina you're you're coming in from out of town um and you have uh i mean let's talk about the the monkey in the room here the monkey right behind you um you're coming to us where, where are you coming to us from right now uh, I've, I'm in Dallas, Texas, uh, and I'm actually at Kitchen Dog Theater, which is the theater that I'm the co-artistic director of. And, and that's right. And that's got to take up a, a, a lot of your time. And so when so so it, it, I imagine it's important as you know, as an actor to have sort of as much advance notice as possible with those. Absolutely. I, you know, you always kind of you kind of think about like uh, I tried to be conscious of when I'm in plays. I, I don't because uh, I also act in plays, too. Um, and try to think about, well, when could they possibly come back? Maybe I'll direct here because that will totally avoid, you know, any conflict here. I'm not kidding. Like, you know, like, cause I knew that, and like, we kept my schedule clear during like, I was like, this is the last season. Maybe they'll bring me back. So I was like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna direct anything in here and see what happens. But yeah, definitely it's, you know, I try to be conscious about it um, when I'm scheduling here. And, and then they've been good to me as far as like when I'm set, come back and said, Hey, can we actually, can, can I come in a little later today or whatever? They've been good to me in that regard. Um, and I, I, I'll be honest, like too, running a theater, like because of everything being remote, like I get a lot of stuff done because <laughs> when I'm away, because you know, it's less like, Hey, the toilet's broken. Can you come fix the toilet? Or let's <laughs> talk about this problem that we're having over here. Like, it's like, I have two hours. What's, what do you need me to do? And then that's, I get everything done. I wish I could set that schedule for myself here, but you know, it's a little, it's a little more like fix the toilet kind of deal. Uh, and I, before I know we're going to run out of time, but I, I, there, there are a couple of, of just, I mean, besides the sort of um, the filmmaking flex of, of doing the, the staging that, that breakup scene, the way that you did, Michael, there are a couple of shots in this episode that are just, just extraordinary. There's, I mean, well, there's that that oneer in the car. That's when Gus arrives at the uh, the compound. Um, there are those that fantastic shot um, of the fence divide when Mike goes to see Nacho's dad, which is so mm -hmm. sad. Um, and I love that. 
I love that that That's conversation cool. about you know justice versus revenge, um, and um, and then there's that that wide shot uh, at at the end of of um, when when in the garage at at uh, at uh, at HHM at when Kim mm. gives Jimmy the the saddest kiss I've ever seen and drives away. Yeah. There's that incredible wide shot. I don't know. I just, I, just, I, this is not a question. I just, uh, no, no, that, that, that's really fun to hear. Cause that's one of my, it, so that that's one of my favorite shots actually. Um, I'm, I, that I've done, I think on, on the show. And I think it comes because there's a long history of, amazing camera work in that very garage you know i mean there was a sense of history i think about a lot of this episode at least you know from from the planning phase onwards and the shot that the there's a shot that precedes that when they come down through the elevator uh it's actually in the earlier part of the section that i'm thinking about it but when they're in the elevator lobby uh there was a shot that we quoted from the pilot that vince had done you know mm -hmm. across the across the um so we knew going in, and some of my favorite, when I look back on my, you know, self-made lookbooks on this show, which you could fill like volumes on, a lot of them are, are, are smoking scenes uh, of uh, which were in the garage. And th there's such a history, I think, about their relationship in this place. Uh, and like you said, that was, a kiss is not a common occurrence anyway on the show. And Peter and I, we, you and I, and Anne, I think, talked a lot about what that kiss was um, in early conversations. And um, it's such a unique uh, thing that she's doing there. It's such, a, uh, it's such a beautiful piece of writing because there's so much being said there, you know, without any language, that it, it became like a really cool moment for a, 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 a visual thing. And that, that garage was full of it. Um, it was really cool. Uh, the one uh, that you mentioned in the car, that was really fun. That was devised. Uh, Trina, you're going to have to help me figure out how we devised it. But it was like an idea that was born when we were, I think, seeing the car, right? Like we... We were choosing a car for Gus to be driving. And then we started to sort of go, well, we're going to be over his shoulder. And we want to be really economical with how we tell this. And then the way that Anne had written it, like he was getting out and he had these number of actions. He was going to grab his jacket. He was going to come and get, we started to go, oh, wait, this could be just like one thing that just follows it all the way around. And then Marshall in his insane, brilliant way created an entire animation on his laptop <laughs> animating the entire sequence and proving with like, you know, science that it could be done. Uh, and then they built the rig. They actually built like, they fully built this sort of like 360 revolving camera rig that you could drive with. It was really, really cool. I love that. I got to ask you something um, about the, uh, I, I thought it was this memorial sort of get together sort of thing I, um, event. Yeah. Um, it was funny as I watched it, I thought this is, you know, I, I guess it's supposed to be, you know, kind of sad and, and but these <laughs> these gigantic photos of Patrick. Yeah, are, are those are those actual just pictures? Of I, I, that's what I. That's vacation? my question. That's my question because we know they, Patrick to be very so, active. They so look like photos that Patrick just has on his phone, right? So I'm wondering, were they taken for the show, or did you just get pictures of Pat? And they were just so appropriate because I just. The whole time I know we're supposed to be thinking of Howard, but I was thinking Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. <laughs> yes. How could you not? Yeah. Yes. Those, I think Trina, am I right that those are all those are all Patrick? We thought about taking yes. pictures and doing Photoshop, but I 
What did we end just, up using? We used, um, I think almost all of them, except for one, I believe, uh, were all actually Patrick's photos. Patrick's photos. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In, in various uh, of we took one. many, many activities yeah. that he, <laughs> yeah. Oh and there God. were, there were more to choose from. I think we had, you know, he, he presented like, like 20 photos that we could choose from. And Incredible. Everyone. Did we use the one with the, like the giant turtle? I mean, there was, he was, yes. his life, I want his life. Like he's no. everywhere. Yeah. All we the all time. want his life. Patrick's yeah. unbelievable. You know, uh, it's frequently on, on Emmy nights, uh, I'll see Patrick and he will have already done, uh, uh, what was it, a triathlon that day. <laughs> so he's he's just, uh, he's unstoppable. Oh my God. Well, I, I think, unfortunately, I think we have well, to no, wrap no, up. No, 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 we can't wrap up yet. I guess, we, we gotta, <laughs> no. I guess uh, mention about, uh, about Mike going to Nacho's dad. Right. You know, that was, it was really like, you know, it, over and over, it just shows constantly how, um, you know, Mike has such a heart, you know, even with all the stuff yeah. that he does and does well, he still has this conscience. It was so funny. I was watching the show and I'm like, so, and I had seen it before, but I'm like, oh yeah, this is the part where Mike takes the gun back out after watching Chris Snooze pinch hit for the Nashville, whatever freaking team he was on. It was just so <laughs> funny because I kept hearing the baseball game. Um but uh, he goes and he tells Nacho's dad about uh, about what happened. And I thought that that was. Yeah. And then he gets the, I love that scene so much. And, you know, it, you'd be hard pressed to find two better actors actually to, to do a scene like that where there's so much, there's so much emotion there, but they don't sort of lean into it. They kind of lean away from it, but then that makes it all the more present. It's really, it's really lovely. And to me, the thing, was you know he, he's going to go and do this good thing right like he's going to go and and he does it's really honorable like you said kelly but then he's confronted surprised at least to me surprisingly by the reaction of like you're all the same you know all of you you know you're all the same and he felt like i think that he's not the same and we know him and we know he's not but he is at the end of the day because you know he think and that's what i mean like it's all relative like he thinks like maybe in the back of mike's mind he's like i'm not like us i'm a good man really you know and i will stand up for nacho and i will i will be the one in the voice in the room saying hey this kid did a good job but at the end of the day what happened to nacho still happened to nacho what happened yeah. to werner still happened to werner what happened to hamlin so the trail of destruction goes on and it's only when he's confronted with someone who really is not in that world at all and it really doesn't create a wake of chaos and pain behind him that he gets confronted. Mike alone gets confronted with the truth, right? Like I thought I was like the better side of these guys and I'm just like everyone. Else. And I think that was crushing to me and what was so interesting about the scene. And one of the things that, you know, I loved about it too was you guys, and I know what it, what it takes for you guys to do this is to get uh, really freaking high you know, gigantic, whatever you call those things, condors or whatever they are, yeah, whatever they are now, um, you know, to get that just because it's these two guys, two lonely guys in the middle of a lonely place in a wide, huge, wide shot. And they're basically on two separate sides of a fence. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, that echoed it quite, a, you know, quite well illustrate. It was very illustrative because people have asked me a lot of times with, you know, these wide shots. And I always say, look, most of the time, I feel like when I was there, I felt like they were either illustrating um, loneliness or power. Mm -hmm. And this mm. one was sort of illustrating two different things, you know, in there. That's, that's really, really smart. Um, you know, and then sometimes this show has an amazing history of 
wide shots and exterior wide shots. And sometimes it's in the tradition and Breaking Bad was really amazing for this too, uh, of, of the Western, you know, like the whole, mm -hmm. the force of nature is like a character in the scene, like the skies and the, the desert. This was a little different, like you said, Kelly, this was just to sort of, it felt kind of, I don't know, it made it even sadder. It made it sort of inevitable what was happening somehow. And the simplicity of it, like you said, was what we would we would and it's it's for. almost like I just thought of this too and metaphorically and I always like as an editor like to think metaphorically about things is is that you know you have Nacho's father who's inside and it feels like he's more protected whereas you have Mike who's outside and has to deal with the wide world but on the other hand it could also mean um, Gus's father is I mean excuse me Nacho's father is trapped. You know, mm. I, you know mm. it's it's I don't know it's it's a very interesting dichotomy that you guys have painted with that and just like you said you know uh, uh, Mike feels like he's not one of them but he really is part of the, that whole outside that is like that. There's a hard really. truth for him. I I think that's what I loved about the fence. There was was um, they're both trapped in a way. You know. Uh, in the sense when you come to any kind of a single on them that but they both share that thing you you kind of lose the track of who's is is one of them free and one of them not like a conventional sort of like jail image it's not really it's like they're both like they're both trapped mm -hmm. behind these these things yeah and and because i know what it takes especially at night you know you've got to wait you know till night i mean well obviously the scene was at night but then to send your camera you know, several, yeah. what, you know, what is it? A hundred feet? I don't know. 50 feet. I don't know how far you guys were up there, I think but we were 75, 75 feet or something up there yeah, yeah. to send, to send a camera up there. I mean, it takes a lot. So when you were prepping for this, was it something that you were just like consistent on getting, was it written in what, what was no, your I thought? think he, he, I, I don't I don't remember whether there was a, a written indication of a of a wide shot, but it was really important to it was really important to me. But this is the, the beauty of the, the way this show is prepped, you know, especially this season. Actually, th this season was unusual because we had uh, I'm sure we've mentioned on the podcast before two DPs this season. Um, and, and so what that means practically is you get to prep with your DP, which was is huge because normally you have to sort of do this process of prepping in your ideal version of all the shots. And then you kind of download really quickly to the DPs in the middle of shooting another episode. It's incredible that they have the bandwidth for it. But in this case, I was, we were prepping with uh, Marshall. He brought his drone out and we actually flew the drone up in the, on the location scout and picked the spot that we like. But to your point, Kelly, what's amazing to me about it. So yeah, we always knew we wanted it. And, and Marshall and I both made, made that happen. But it was on the other side of the street from where we covered the scene. And so what, what, that, what that really means when you're at night is, how, where is he going to put his big lights? Because at night, you would normally put a big light on one side of the line, essentially, so that you can get the best looking shot you can. And what that means is if you're going to put a wide shot on the other side of the line, like we did, which sees the entire world, are you going to spend an hour moving all those lights? And taking them away and it was actually this is the kind of behind the scenes brilliance that is Marshall he lit the scene with that shot in mind so somehow he was able to get the big the big lights that create the night time in the right place so they were out of the frame of the huge wide shot that would otherwise normally have seen them so it's only through that kind of uh, behind the scenes uh, prep that we were even able to get that shot because it would have taken far too long otherwise. The more we hear about Marshall, the more he starts to sound like Q from James Bond. Like he's got all <laughs> these gadgets and 
He's, That's Marshall. It's, yeah, it's wild. <laughs> he does love his gadgets. Have you guys watched? Have you followed his Instagram? Just because he posts all of the behind the scenes photos, like but after as, after the episode. I'm just much of a nerd. I'm friends with him on the Instagram. <laughs> but he, he, put, he puts all these different no. behind the scenes pictures of shots, how he got the shot and. Or here's the oh, that's grip that's cool. hidden under the desk, and you're just like, holy shit! Like it's fantastic. Oh like, yeah, he's it's, it's great. That's a yeah, great his his, his, his great account tip. is a great follow. Yeah. No, that, it's on it's Insta and his Facebook. So definitely, if you're a nerd like Perfect. me and want to know how the sausage is made, it's fantastic. <laughs> and like Michael said, with his animation thing he was doing this year, he could you could see you could almost see the shot before. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, I, he did it for other stuff too, and it it was just really great. It helped everyone. Yeah. It helped you know art department. You could see where the window was supposed to go or where it should go to. You know, it was yeah, it was yeah. Really no, cool. exactly. And uh, on that one or in, uh, outside Donald Adia's, that was a commitment. You know, it's a commitment to to sort of commit to a shot like that. And so it was really helpful that he he proved that it could work. You yeah. know, even theoretically that it could work. I got one more question for Peter. Um, Peter, welcome back. Uh, <laughs> I got one more question um, for Peter. Um, and, you know, obviously you can cut this out, but I was very curious. Um, the, the story that Kim tells Cheryl, Howard's wife, um, as I was watching it, Brutal. it was very interesting to me because I, I even wrote in my notes, I'm like, so, you know, some of me says, okay, Kim is here basically trying to save the two of them in this situation and she's telling the story but part of me was like is this possibly a true story and i don't know i i don't necessarily think that of howard but it was just kind of interesting that i kind of had that thought of maybe this really did happen that's is, how is, good a lot that's how good a liar can yeah. okay and and, I mean, and my question to you is yeah. not is it true but my question to you is like is this a is this something that you intended for us to maybe think a little bit about, or maybe it's just me? No, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think so. I think the uh, Howard on drugs is a frame up, and I hopefully, hopefully the audience, hopefully you get that that they've got all these great lengths with the the baggie at the beginning of the season and and all the throwing a prostitute out of a out of out of his car and all, all that that you understand it's a frame up. But I do think in that moment, uh, Kim is thinking to herself, I've got to put Cheryl's doubts into, I've got to put those away. Not, not to make Cheryl not doubt anymore, but to, to give it a context. Uh, and and it's, it's incredibly cruel. I, I mean, I think it's, it's just, it's, it's about as nasty as it could be. And Kim says it and the way Ray plays it is so... Uh, reluctant. And that was one of the things that Anne, and by the way, I'm so sorry, Anne Cherkis is not on this podcast today. She's, she's, she's uh, sick with COVID. Otherwise she'd be with us and she certainly deserves to be. But the way Anne wrote it is it basically has to, Cheryl has to drag it out of Kim. Uh, and, and that's, uh, it's just, it's just so intensely cruel. And I think you're right. It does in that moment, you think, could this be true? But then hopefully, you know, you, you back up and you go, well, this is Kim's breaking point in a lot of ways. You know, yeah. this is this is the moment where she's she's done this. She's crossed the line in her own mind that that um, because, you know, you can argue, well, was she responsible or not? How, what's her responsibility for what happened to Howard? And that's a 
you could have a whole argument about that. And it's a, it's an interesting one, but she's doing this. She, she doesn't have to do such a good job here. And uh, she's, it, it's, uh, I, I, I love the question, Kelly. And it, it, it's, just, I, I, she's just an epic, an epic liar is the short answer, I think. She's well, having, can, having think, too much fun. She was. <laughs> I think it, I think it comes back to, um, to that line that I'm going to misquote, so I won't bother quoting it. But when uh, Mike came to find her at the diner, he was like, why are you coming to me and not Jimmy? It's like, because you can handle it. You know? You're made of sterner and, stuff. You're, you're made of sterner stuff. And I think that there's at least, I, I love hearing you answer that question, Peter, because it's, it jibes just with what we were discovering, you know, uh, on set, which was, it's a small moment, this thing that she does with Cheryl, in, in, you know, in the scheme of much bigger things that have happened on, on the show. But it's a critical turning point because the way she does it is so smooth almost. It's so kind of um, invisible that, you know, what the shiv that she kind of like digs in um, that I think it, it, she's rocked by it. And I think it's, you know, it's a straight line from, from that scene to what happens next. You know, it, it's, and I think it's so clever Anne's writing because it's very subtle, you know, it's not, it, it's not an obvious thing. She doesn't throw something at anybody or, you know, it's, but it's a dig. And, and how great is Sandrine Holt? I mean, you know, oh, she, yeah. she just is, it's uh, because it's what's going on with her is so complicated because we know Howard and uh, Howard and Cheryl were having trouble, uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, doesn't mean that his death isn't, isn't, doesn't, hasn't completely uh, ruined her emotionally. That's right. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's so nuanced and complex and, and Michael, a, a very, a, Michael also had a brilliant, a master stroke here uh, as a director, which is to stage this on the balcony uh to stage this up up on the balcony because that was not part that was not something we thought of when we when we wrote this and it had so many different effects oh and and uh and by the way ed bagley this is i think yep. to me to my eye this is one of his best scenes ever uh it, it just it, it, his he's so raw and hurt and confused and he just that yeah, that really makes this all work so well He's so present, and 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 I think the, the very shout out to all the actors concerned because it was a really challenging sequence. We shot it over. Not to two mention days. Bob. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, incredibly so. I mean, we were two days in this one scene on the balcony. I think um, a day and three quarters or something like that. But I think three days total, something like three days total for the whole of, of of the building and the and the the garage. But to you know, this is another really intense exchange with so much subtext and so much stuff going on. You know, for all of the all of the actors to maintain that for over two days was pretty amazing. And you mentioned Sandrine, and that was you know that's a lot to summon because she has to learn all this stuff during the scene and react to it as if she's never heard it before. Every every take, you know, and there was a lot of people, there were a lot of cameras and a lot of hours. So. Um, Good one, but yeah, the balcony was is very dramatic. It's really dramatic up there, and I know Peter, you've directed some really, really cool stuff in that in in that um, lobby. Um, but partly it was there was a little self defense in there because we did have a lot of extras, especially during COVID times, a lot of extras. I think there were, I can't remember Trina like hundred and thirty or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember. about hundred twenty. Yeah. yeah, and so it's very echoey everywhere in there. So in order to have, a, you know, hour upon hour of intense, if we were going to, I really wanted to separate them from the crowd and shoot it so that you wouldn't have to be aware that we wouldn't have to have everyone miming and holding things. It would have been, I think, a disaster. 
Very. Well, I'm I'm sorry that we have to leave it at that. Um, we didn't talk about the comb over. Oh, no, oh, no. Man. I actually have it in my nose. Uh, I actually do have that in my nose. It'll have to I want to shout out Jen Bryant, who, who uh, Tina mentioned early, because in the montage at the beginning, it was a random idea that she made come to life, which is we, we transitioned from the post-it notes, you know, from, from the, the women in Saul's office to the post-it notes, and she designed us a dress with post-it note colors. Um, in order to have to, to help that montage transition. Uh, I, and, and I also want to I want to call out a uh, Ruth Karsich, uh, who is our uh, oh our, bravo was a hair hair and she she did this as she the, the construction of Bob's the hair on Bob's hair when he does that comb over. Uh, we've always wondered what was going on with Saul's hair, and now we know, and it just looks effortless. But it, it was it was effortful, and and she was uh, uh, she yeah. did a remarkable job. And I hope I'm pronouncing your last name right. Thank you guys so much for for spending this uh, spending some time here on this uh, sunny Sunday. And um, uh, Tina, uh, what we do on the podcast to close it out is we have uh, one of our guests do their best kind of Bob Odenkirk, Saul Goodman, better call Saul. And you should know it. You should be good at it. <laughs> no, no, no pressure. No pressure. But would you would you would you take us out with uh, with a. A better call Saul. Okay. Oh my God. Um, better call Saul. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was really good. That was-